WeegeeCast, Episode 8, Stacy Wharton of New World Graphics. SqueegeeCast, the podcast for screen printers and garment decorators. The purpose of SqueegeeCast is to help you better your products, processes, and knowledge in the garment decorating field. Please visit SqueegeeCast.com and share your input and opinions. You can find us on a variety of social networks, so please support SqueegeeCast by liking, sharing, and following. Hello, everybody. Philip Hicks here. Welcome to SqueegeeCast. Today, my guest is Stacy Wharton. He is the uh, plant manager at New World Graphics in uh, Athens, Georgia. Hello, Stacy. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Philip. How are you, man? I'm, I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in uh, Sacramento. Beautiful day here in Athens, too. All right, great. I might say, yeah. I'm so glad to have you as a guest because um, our careers have kind of satellited around each other when, when uh, you first started working at Serigraphia when I was there, and you've really taken off. You've, uh, you are a professional screen printer for, for damn sure. Your career over, like, getting close to 30 years now, right? Holy cow. Now you're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when I look back at things, I feel really old, too. People, I, you know, I, I stopped telling people at 30. I just said, how long have you been screen printing? I said, 30 years. I don't know what it is now. It's not a whole lot longer than that. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's almost like you don't want to have any more experience than 30 years. <laughs> it's flown by, though. That's what's amazing. It it's sure definitely, has. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's been. And I tell, I interview people all the time when I'm hiring. And I tell them, I've been printing for, and now I start doing the math. I'm like, dang, it's 29 years. Yeah, I really take that for granted because it, it's not been a perfect 29 years, but it's been a pretty good career for me, and it's, it's flown by. Yeah, it's uh, it's flown by for me. In fact, I think life has a little throttle, and the older you get, the faster it goes. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't want to get the whole thing about older age, but as, as I get older, my life is more fulfilled. I'm doing more of the things I want to do. The fact that, you know, it doesn't seem like I have enough time to do all these things, but I'm I'm doing more of what I wanted to do. When I was 16, I just did what everyone else did. I'm able to manage and balance my personal life and my professional life a lot better than I used to. Whereas my professional life, you know, at the beginning, it wasn't. It was just making money, making money, making money. As you know, the early years of screen printing, and then it became okay. Well, now I'm going to make this a career. Now I've just got to focus on being, you know, just dominant in this career. And you spend all of your time doing that. And then at some point, you know, you've got to start balancing out family, personal, professional. And then at this, you know, my kids are grown now. They're, you know, one's in college. One's got a child. I'm a grandfather, by the way. Oh, wow. So, but now I'm able to balance that a lot more. I'm not doing all the family, you know, going to your kid's soccer game or coaching your kids in, in sports. So, I'm balancing a lot more of that out now, and I'm finding that I've got more free time. But it's it's come with the experience of doing this for so long, and yet taking it for granted. But it's it's kind of you know come full circle now to where I can manage my life a lot better as well. Those aspects of work work life balance are so more important as you get older. Well, they're important all the time. You just don't realize it until you get older. <laughs> right. Exactly. 
I first met Stacy, gosh, probably 87. 87, yeah. At Serigraphia. I was there for a while. I think at that time I might have been doing all the flat press, all the signs and stuff. Yeah, you were doing flat press. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to visit some of our old uh, acquaintances there too, because I've got a list of names I want to ask you about once you once you get to that point. Okay. Anyhow, when when I met you, I mean, you're just starting, and uh, you know, you had really long hair and was learning to play guitar and partying and yeah, hanging out at that house on the on yep. the bayou in Florida. It was. Oh my God! You remember that house? That was incredible. That house was fantastic. That was a what a great. <laughs> What a great opportunity I was given to to live there on a bayou in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, in a rock band yeah. with a full time job paying. I didn't have a lot of bills. I was using my money to buy equipment for my band. So I, you know, living off of twenty bucks a week on food. I mean, that was it. So it was what a life. It was a great situation. I mean, that was just uh, wonderful. And at some point there, I left and started doing other things, and I, I went to Germany. Yeah, you went to Ranger. Was it Ranger? Or didn't you go to Pensacola to work? I went to Pensacola for a little bit to the beach shirt company, and then I went off to Germany. I was working over there. And what's weird, I was at, uh, came from Germany to a screen printing convention in, uh, I think, Cleveland. And so, like, towards the end of the show, I'm walking out, and uh, there's Stacy Wharton, and... Uh, He's just been, this is probably, I don't know how much time passed, about 10 years or something. Probably, yeah. By that time. And I hear, I mean, and all your hair is all cut off and you're just a professional screen printer. We didn't have much time. It's like, hey, wow, hey. And just a chance meet in Cleveland uh, was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's amazing when you go back and look. That's, I mean, the time has flown, but if you, if you look at the progression of my changes over the years, I mean, I'm bald now. <laughs> I shaved my head completely. No, I mean, the folks that knew me in, at Serigraphia wouldn't recognize me now. Uh, I went back to eventually working back in Fort Walton, worked for Greg again for, for a long, long time. And then I, I was going to church. I'm not a church-going guy too much. And I just decided, hey, I want to go to church a few times. And then I met your dad. At, at this church, and we talked about you, and it's just, for some reason, you keep popping up in my life, which is a good thing. You're a good guy, great screen printer, robust screen printer, so. Appreciate it. It's mutual. I appreciate it. Thank you. So this is kind of open topic, but as far as, like, you are, you're not a business owner, but you're a professional screen printer, been doing it, um, helping business owners a long time. A lot of my interviews have been with business owners, how to, uh, and the question with someone that's been in business for like as long as Greg or a lot of these people is how, how what advice do you have for other um, screen printing companies to stay in business so long? So as far as you, uh, the question is, what would you advise other people that are becoming professional screen printers to have a, a good career? I, I consider your career to be successful career. Do you have advice for other career path minded individuals uh, that want to, be out there in the work field. Uh, I do definitely. And I, you know, and I've said this before, um, I interview people all the time. I've interviewed people since, you know, I started managing a screen print shop in 93. So that was my first, actually, I got my first experience interviewing, working for Greg Keith at Serigraphy. He started introducing me to how to interview folks, what questions to ask what to look for to make sure, you know, you're getting the right information to make a, a good sound higher. But I 
when I interview people now, I, tr I tried to look at where I started cleaning squeegees and flood bars. And I really didn't look at it as, you know, a career choice or a career opportunity. It was, you know, it was just a job. But once I realized, you know, I could, I could really screen print and, and be successful at it, you know, by that point, you know, I have a kid on the way and I'm realizing, you know what, I'm going to have to make a decision based on a family, based on providing for a family and what, what better way to do that than to, uh, uh, manage people. And that's, that's really where the opportunity came up. And that's what I tell, you know, I tell my son that I said, if you want to, if you want to be successful, really in any job you're at, you've got to be good at managing people. You've got to be good at managing personalities. You, I mean, so ultimately mo anybody I interview that's, um, that comes in here, most folks that come in here are young, right out of high school. They're either um, thinking about college or, you know, they're at the, the point in their life where they could go to college or avoid college. And I'm like, you need, you need to get a degree. You need to get a degree in whatever it is you want to do or think you would love to do and, and go for that. However, the folks that forego that opportunity or privilege, they, I mean, they've got to be able to manage people if they want to be successful in any career they take. And screen printing, um, for us, I mean, it was probably a love of, you know, the arts to some degree. Or, I mean, it, I don't know how it was for you. I like screen printing because it was easy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, I mean, working for Serigraphia was, was challenging in that, you know, there were, there were a lot of personalities in there. There were a lot of, there was a lot of youth, um, you know, young testosterone. Everybody was walking around with their chest poked yeah, out. Yeah. You know, you had that going, you know, yeah. right. And you had Greg who was, I mean, he's like a, he's a genius in, in some sense, you know, he was, um, I mean, he was our mentor. To, I yep. mean, he was for me. I'm not for sure about you, but for me, he was, he was a mentor and he was so intelligent in, in almost every aspect of anything he discussed with him. So, um, it was easy for me. You know, I, I was able to communicate with him. I understood him. I got him. He helped me understand that, you know, this, this, this job, this company you're working for, everything here, you need to take ownership of it. And he, used analogies to help me understand ownership and how the things that I was using, the tools that I was using while I worked there were basically my tools or my guitar or my possessions that I was um, either taking care of or not taking care of. And they were providing for me at that time. And then I realized, you know, the more that I worked in, the more knowledge I gained, I could use that knowledge to help further my career. So, you know, this we've, I've gone on and on about this, but the point that I'm making here is, you know, anybody that wants to get in this career, go into it, learn everything that you possibly can. Um, embrace it, work hard. If, if they let you work overtime, work as much overtime as you can. Um, find the people that have been there for years, find out the things that, that they've done for that company for so long, find out about the company's successes, the company's failures, um, and learn to manage people, learn to communicate, 
learn to, uh, and that's that's hearing people and getting your point across. But if you want to be successful in this, it's it's not that it's hard work. You just got to have a will to work and and not have any complaints about it. That's true. Yeah, I think it's good that you were talking about Greg. I don't know if you listened to the interview. The last one I did was with Greg. He launched a lot of careers. There's a lot of people out there that started there. You're right about his analogies. He had ways of, especially to the people that were working for him, his analogies applied to them. So like he said, back then in the day, it was a, a lot of young men and uh, the machinery, which was very expensive, he would say, analogy that a young man can understand. Rather than just clean my machine, he would like, okay, uh, this machine costs X and a Ferrari costs X. This is my friggin' Ferrari. You don't leave yeah. Coke cans on top of the Ferrari. You don't, if the Ferrari gets dirty, you clean it. And a young man could go, wow, Ferrari, yeah, okay. I yeah. relate. Well, I, was, <laughs> yeah, I, I started there when I was 18, and I was, I was in a band and learned to play guitar at that time. But his analogy was, this is my guitar, because he, he knew that I just spent all this money and bought a brand new guitar. And he said, this, this precision oval is my guitar. He used those analogies all the time to, and honestly, he he was a he was able to communicate with people. The people that that could not communicate with him were not willing to work. They're, I mean, that's what I saw. I saw people that that just weren't willing to work and didn't didn't really want to work. And the folks that communicated with him well were the were I mean, those were the good employees. They they were willing to work and they actually got it. And he was a great communicator in that sense. Um, he was able to connect with those people pretty quickly. We didn't keep a lot of those folks around that didn't get great <laughs> yeah. or that didn't communicate well with them. They didn't stay around long. All right, that's true. I remember the first time I went to Serigraphia, it was like a work day. Just the freaks in there. There was all these weirdos in there. I mean, most people would be like, I mean, these are people that would... uh When I say freaks, this is just what your visual first impression is. He didn't care what you wore. He didn't care how long your hair was, what your color was. You know, it was all about doing proper printing. Yeah, it was. You know, Tom Rothrock popped up in there and kicked his skateboard up against the wall and walked over the oval. And I'm like, man, this place is weird. <laughs> um, I'm glad you mentioned Tom Rothrock. If you have a way to get in touch with him, tell him I said, hey. <laughs> He, he was actually, he was my roommate for about a year when we worked at Serigraphia. Great guy, good screen printer. I mean, he was, and very intelligent. Talk about smart, too. He was very, he, I say was, he is, I guess. He was really, really, yeah. I remember he was the cut-down king. <laughs> oh, he man, he was so sharp. Quick. He was, I mean, constant. He, there were a few times he, he had me so mad <laughs> because it was like, I just can't come back to this guy anymore. I mean, it's just, he's so much smarter than me, and uh, I just have to shut up and deal with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I remember walking in. Uh, uh, you were gone at the time. You'd already left and moved on, but uh, you remember Seth who worked there. Do you remember Seth? Yeah, Seth. You and Seth are real good friends. What was Seth's last name? I can't remember his name. Thompson. Seth Thompson. Yes, Seth Thompson. I remember walking back into a flat press room when he was back there printing. Of course, he had his shirt off. <laughs> you know, he's back there printing with his shirt off, and I'm like, holy cow. You know, he was 18, too. I was like, I've never seen so much hair on a little guy before yeah. in my life. He had the big blonde afro, 
just a full chest of hair, you know, tan. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you, dude, put your shirt on. Were you there when Mike Stevens was there? Yes. We were all kind of friends. All of us hung out. Because I know he and Seth fished a whole lot together. Yeah. Mike Stevens uh, was a good friend of mine in in the same circles that, that we had. Um, Jeff Brown, real good friend of mine, who was real good friends with Mike Stevens. We all, I mean, all of us, man, were really close. In fact, Jeff and I are still friends and still, you know, talk to each other all the time. What's Jeff doing? Jeff is working for a a licensed collegiate distributor in Alabama. Um, and they they basically market and sell product uh, collegiate pro- t-shirts, basically the same thing I do, in a, in a sense, to different retailers around the, the country. Well, because if he's still in the uh, related industry, I'd like to get him an interview. I'm thinking about going, uh, yeah. doing a whole line of people that used to work in serigraphy, because it's a lot. Oh, no, you, mean, you really could. Yep. Uh, yeah, lots of lots of people. And in fact, just trying to come up with a list out of my head right now, it's too long. Oh, I've got a list. I'll give you a list. Hopefully you can get in touch with them. I don't have the social networking yeah. Honestly, um, what I was going to say is, you know, when I started there in 1987, um, I was walking up with my girlfriend. She looked in the front window where the artists were, you know, in that front room there. And she <laughs> said, uh, she said, that's Marty. I'm like, no, his name's William. She said, no, that's Marty. Um, William Martin. He was an artist there. And he, he actually works here with me. He's an operations manager, art director here at uh, new world. And, uh, I've, Worked with William after he left Serigraphia. I left Serigraphia at the same time. We went to the same company and worked together for 13 years at Marathon together. He moved on to a company in Wisconsin. I went to uh, F&E in Alabama. We stayed friends for, I mean, since then. We, you know, we've gone to Tennessee, Georgia football games every year and constantly doing stuff together. When the opportunity came up here at New World, he was working here at New World. He says, hey, man, we'd like for you to come here. And I'm like, really? So uh, that was in 2010. So we worked together 20 years, 20, 20, 22, 23 years together, which is amazing. But, yeah, he's, I mean, it's, it's, it's neat to still have, you know, those relationships like with you and uh, Jeff Brown, some of the folks that are really, you know, that were, you know, in my life at that early age and still, you know, we're in this industry still doing the same thing. I mean, I like it. I'm, I mean, I think most of us probably either like it or accept it, but I like it. No, I like it too. And I think you must like, when you said that you found it easy, a lot of people find this stuff difficult. There's people I see right through it. I mean, I'd like look at something and I may not have a, the industry professional consultant language to describe what's going on, but I'm like, that doesn't work because of this, and this is what you do to fix it. I mean, it's like it's like instantaneous. Right. I just see through problems that people have with stuff, and uh, so that's made it. That's why I found it to be easy. You know what it is when you say problems. I think, and I, it may have just come to me right now in a revelation. I think probably with screen printing, I mean, there is a difficult aspect to it that I'll bring up in a minute but i really think problem solving is probably the biggest attribute for people who are successful in this industry i mean not it's not that it's unique to screen printing problem solving works well in in any industry but i think people who are really good at problem solving 
are probably going to be pretty good at screen printing, or could be. Correct, yeah. Um, but I think that's probably a common link. When you're talking about all those folks that we've worked with and the, you know, the folks that, I mean, like William or, or Jeff Brown or, or you, or, or you, you know, Greg was, was a key example. That was his whole uh, mantra is problem solve, figure out what the problem is and solve it. Um, the difference there is he, he knew the exact terminology when, when it was solved or could figure it out and say, this is the terminology for this right. and how you solve it. So, um, but that, that's probably the common link. No problem solving. Other than yeah. that, I think our biggest, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no problem solving. And people that want to be a little active. I know that if I was just working on problems on the computer and I didn't get to get on the floor and move around. I know I'm getting older and I, I tend to do a little more office work and administration stuff. But if I couldn't get out there and move, um, that's that's death to me. I've got to have a career where I've got some a decent, you know, a partial of my day is physical. If I'm not physical, I don't think I'd be happy. It's interesting that you say that because you, you asked me for my history to send to you before the podcast and I was putting down some notes or some bullet points and I was trying to, I was thinking about all these places I've worked and you know, when you, when you have that in front of you, it's like, man, this has been, what a great career to have all these opportunities. I mean, I've worked for five different companies and I've gotten so much from each of them, but this one in particular marathon, which I worked, like I said, I worked there for 13 years. Yes. And the owner of that company, he was a businessman. He, he worked on a farm as a kid. He dropped out of school in sixth grade, but he became um, a manufacturing guru and and owned many companies in manufacturing. And one of the things that he told us by the time I started there, he was you know late sixties, early seventies. He was pretty much out of manufacturing at the time, but he was coaxed to get back into it out of a weird situation. And the, the manufacturer was screen printing Ducks Unlimited t-shirts. Mm-hmm. But he gave me some tips. He was very involved in the company, but he gave me some very good tips from a manager's perspective that still resonate with me today. And that was, you look at your labor, look at your product costs, look at your profit loss on a daily, hourly basis. When you look at that, and you look at it at the end of the day and say, hey, we were, we were behind in this area of manufacturing today. I'm going to go out on the floor, which is what he did. He would go out on the floor with his supervisors and managers and work in that area the next day to figure out why that process was costing so much more money or time or labor and solve it. Yeah. Being the owner, of, because he was at that time he was a multimillionaire, and he would he would go in and buy companies, build the company up to get their their profit and loss in balance, and and just make it a great company again. And he would do that by that type of involvement, and that really set in my mind. You know, that's I think that's what you've got to do to be successful, and it's not you can't manage from from a desk and be successful. Oh no! You got to be out. You got to know what's going on. I mean, of course, if it gets real huge, you're going to have to delegate it, and other people might be out there doing the research. But you got to know what's going on on the floor. Definitely. That's actually. Um, I remember speaking to my sister. She's a scientist at Dupont. Went into Dupont management and answers to a vice president there, and everything got real high up. And we were talking about production, and I was like, 
Well, you know, I'm just, uh, I look at a production line and I can, I can look at any production. I kind of almost like production work almost in general more than screen printing per se. You know, if they were putting things in boxes, it'd almost be the same thing. Yeah. So you look at it and I can look from the beginning to the end and then it's real obvious. Oh, right there's where you're getting slowed down. That's your bottleneck right there. If they didn't have to move those from that table to that table before they could start the new process, you'd be, you know, and I just see it, just see it right away. And I said, basically, I look around the room and look for the weaknesses. And that's the part you concentrate on. She goes, well, yeah, that's what all the Lean Sigma 6 is really all about. You know, all, uh, you know, they can apply a whole bunch of college education. And of course, there's analytics where you, you know, uh, examine all the little details. But the, she says that's what it is. You just look at the production line, see the weakness, and focus on that, make it better. And then a new weakness will pop up. And- wow. Very good example why you need to go to college and get a degree. I can't, <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. I mean, there you go. I, I think you see those weaknesses on when you go on the floor and you look at your print line running, you can in in seconds know where a weakness is in on it. You know, you can see and go, wow, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, and part of that, uh well a lot of that at this point is as we've mentioned at the beginning, twenty plus thirty years in the industry, you start you're able to see some of that. Uh, a new person coming into this that's never screen printed before. They may not quite have those skills, so and I'm not sure that college or a degree will get that for you, but it does, you know, it does give you a little bit of a bonus going into any career with anything that you can, any knowledge you can have prior to that. Yeah. Oh, yes, undoubtedly. Education is what keeps us out of the caves, man. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, we all have opposable thumbs. It's like how much knowledge you have to do, do with it. Education is king, and in fact... Any uh, advice to young people? Learn as much as you can about everything. Those folks, when I'm interviewing, those are the folks that I'm looking for. Those is people that can see those types of things, or you know, if I walk them through the plant during a uh, a face to face interview, and they point out, "Hey, why is that guy doing that?" Or you know, why wouldn't this be? You know, if anybody that points out something that's maybe not so obvious to your layman, that mm-hmm. that would be something that that someone in our position would say, this is why you're having problems here. Let's change this or do this. But yeah, I look for that. And you know, that's, it, it really is rare in our industry to, to find that person, you know, in an interview to, as a new hire, you know, as well as I do, our industry has taken a beating over the years, uh, for, uh, job competition. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to get people into this industry which is, I mean, that's a challenge now. It's hard to get people to start a career in screen printing because they can make more money doing other things. Well, that's true. You and I both know that if you are into it and you work hard, and the best way to improve yourself at any company, be it screen printing or not, is to actually do more than what you're paid for. Yeah. I mean, like you said, take that ownership, do that extra mile, and you will succeed. You will make more money. You're right. There's no company that if, and you manage people. If there's some guy in your shop doing well over his job description and working really hard, he gets a raise. I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just can't not do it. <laughs> Even if you're tight and cheap, you got to get reward that guy. You mentioned in your bio something I just wanted. It's getting around back around serigraphy again, but uh, the Salvador Dali prints. Oh my goodness! Wow, what what a great opportunity. I just want to tell you, I want to preface this by saying 
I took that period of time for granted for so long that what what we were doing there at Serigraphia, when we were doing that, I, it took me forever to finally say, man, that was that was pretty incredible. As I look back on that was pretty incredible. There's people that can't do that to this day. They can't reproduce that, that same type of product. When I was last in Greg's shop, probably about two years ago, I was there. I actually helped him uh, replace all the airlines in his uh, MHM 3000, taking all the heads off and stuff. That was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this print, and I was involved in all that stuff. He's still got a lot of, lot of the prints there. So if anyone, he's uh, not allowed to sell them, I don't believe. But if you call him and ask him for one, you probably get one. But anyhow, oh my goodness. I'm sitting here looking at it, and I'm. it's just so friggin' perfect and beautiful. And that was printed on the friggin' oval for the most part, a lot of them, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and it almost seems impossible. It is so good. It's so beautiful. And I even did it, and I don't even sometimes realize how it was done. It's just... It's hard. <laughs> it is so hard to 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 really um, explain to people who weren't there how we did that. And then to go and, and get machines that are three or four times more expensive with much more... Uh, uh, complex processes and procedures in place and still not be able to do that consistently. It's amazing. Well, in, in, in the interview I had with Greg, one little, and it's a small aspect, but there's an element of truth there. And you being in the music industry, you kind of realize that uh, analog versus digital. Um, those separations were manipulated in the dark room, which is like an analog, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So the fades and the amount of light is an analog type of message where now all uh, separations are gone through the computer and it technically is a digital separation. It's a recording. You're right, yeah. It's a recording. So actually where it's better, it's, it's you get a better recording technically from a vinyl record, which is analog, than you can from digital. Exactly. He said that's a little bit of a little underlayer of magic on a uh, dolly separation that's no one's doing today because who would go in a dark room and start tilting trays around to make their films. But so there's, there's a little element that's almost not achievable anymore because of that analog, uh, hand, handmade method. Yeah. I mean, and talking about that, and I know you remember this as well as I do, the detail and the prints that we were printing at that time was amazing using, I mean, it was film, but it was amazing. The half tones, the, I mean, it was just some of the most amazing work that I've ever been a part of. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. It is. There's something about the elements of the people that were there, you know, the uh, prime motivator, Greg Keith. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, why those things exist, and that's why it worked. And plus, he loved Dolly. He was an artist. He loved Dolly. He was a screen printer, had the opportunity. Yeah. That was his. That was his favorite artist. Yeah, and and to pour it all in one box. That's why that passion came out, and that's maybe why they look so good. But they are really incredible. As you go through this career and um, the changes that have been made, you know it's still screen printing, but the emulsions, photo emulsions, are way better. But digital, digital imaging, uh, computer to screen imaging is probably that's one of the bigger. Uh, changes in our industry that i can recall yes what what's um new world using over there as far as uh imaging screens it's a it's a dalton uh wax jet okay the same technology well i don't know how 
similar. I mean, it looks the same technology as when it was the Kilo iJet. So, I mean, that technology is pretty similar. Um, Actually, I, I like those a lot. But here's another example about Stacy and I. Is, uh, we both, um, uh, I ended up at working at Paramount, and I had no idea he'd ever worked there because I wasn't really following your career. And we were talking, I was talking to Dave Etheridge, which is also another weird thing. He came out of uh, Northwest Florida. He was at Paramount there because he'd come from R.J. Stratman. Was he there when you were there? Um, he actually interviewed there uh, as a, um, a shift supervisor or some type of, he was interviewing for a role to work for me while I was over screen print, but um, he was way overqualified. Yeah, yeah, um, he's he's another uh, uh, yeah, very intelligent egghead screen printer. Man, he's he's like he's through the roof when it comes to uh, knowledge and and of screen printing and just processes in general. But he's he's through the roof. One of the smartest guys I've ever met. Yeah, and he actually did not work there when I was there. He came on board after I'd left. Well, what's what's interesting, I was speaking to him about you, and then that made me think about our little corner of uh, north northwest Florida, you know, the panhandle there, a bunch of good, good screen printers. And if you include Tallahassee, I mean, uh, a lot of people went through um, T-formation or, or big heads of industries yep. out there. And it's like the panhandle of Florida has generated a lot of kick-ass screen printers. David Etheridge and Greg Keith alone are... Yep. Yeah, Pensacola had a pretty good uh, screen print uh, area as well. Yeah, Pensacola too. New World Graphics. Um, what, what are your goals there? What are you going to... It sounds like it's... Um, uh, uh, we've experienced growth every year uh, in the time I've been here. The company's been in business nearly 30 years. Uh, so they've had successes along the way. It was built from the ground up. So where we are now, I've been here for six years. I've seen consistent growth every year and it's basic screen print collegiate licensed product on t-shirts we're not doing a lot of special effects stuff it's college football college basketball college team sports much like what you saw at paramount in terms of what what product nike was printing you know our customer base is pretty consistent we've got sales folks that are going out trying to get new accounts bring new accounts in uh, we're looking at adding machinery, uh, increasing our capacity. As far as the future here, I mean, I, I see a real positive future and, and continued growth. And that's a lot of that has to do with the loyalty that the employees have to the ownership. I hope uh, play a part in that. But, I mean, as, as a whole, the company is, you know, it's pretty sound, pretty secure. It's a stable job for folks here, so it's easy to keep people loyal. I think we've got a good product compared to what's out there. I mean, we our designs look incredible. One of the things that we do really well is React. We're, we can print hot market as good as anybody out there. We can turn product direct to retail in light speed. And that's probably our niche, being able to get product through licensing get it to the screens, get it to the press, get it printed, get it packed in the boxes, direct to retail, floor-ready product, and get it out the door. And it's, again, you know, I take that for granted because that's what, you know, that's the types of things I have been programmed to do at the other places I've worked. And by the time I got here, it just it felt natural. Yes. As culture goes along, you used to 
I mean, it used to be the answer. People go, I want some t-shirts. And it would just be like a couple of weeks. And now things um, move at the speed of light. And in the hot market, if the team is up and winning, you got to get the product out to the people when item is hot or it's not even going to sell. Yeah, I would say out of, you know, all the places I've worked, I didn't get the, the hot market mentality or the that that skill set until I worked for Paramount and doing all of the, the events for Nike. And I mean, it was, but it, it felt natural doing it. So it really didn't scare me. Yeah. So, I mean, I embraced it cause that was my job, but it didn't really, it wasn't something that was overwhelming for me when I, when I, when I was faced with it. So, but I did embrace it and I did learn from it. And so when I came here, you know, by not being overwhelming there, it was normal. It just felt, oh, this is how we're going to do this, and it felt right. So I think that's probably where our business thrives the most here is, is the ability to, to react and get stuff out the door. That's fantastic. But we never had that. It's, that wasn't what we did at Serigraphia. It was, and it wasn't that we worked um, slower or we, you know, had a longer window. We just, the demand wasn't quite the same as what, what it is today no it's it was definitely a different thing and we had no we had no competition with mexico or canada or el salvador you name it we had no competition outside the u.s really no competition outside of the panhandle with his specific engineered art pieces and stuff we were talking about that he really put a lot of labor Right now, you couldn't, the time that he would spend, of course, he could do it faster now, but I mean, he'd spend 40 hours on a separation. But that separation could run all day long without having to stop and clean and all that stuff. You know, he's still doing the Zoo Gallery um, zebra shirt. Wow. And it's like a copyright in 1981. He's still printing that. They're still buying it. So spending 40 hours for a job that you can print for 38 years or whatever the hell it is, uh, that's that's 40 hours is worth it. But now people want the hot market. They're only going to sell that for right. one day. They might sell the same amount of units or something because it goes na- national. But uh, yeah, they got to get it. Yeah. The artwork in, out, printed and out the door. I mean, it's a totally different thing, you know. Yeah, you say 40 hours that we would spend on a separation at Serigraphia. We may have a product designed, licensed, printed and out the door in 40 hours now. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. It could be anything. It's like, hey, the, you know, I remember at um, Paramount when uh, the Rangers equipment manager, when the Rangers were uh, going to the World Series, but they were in the playoffs, and they, the equipment manager had the, this symbol or something, this saying and this symbol, and it was like the next day we're printing this saying and this symbol on these royal blue shirts and shipping them out the door to, to Texas. Right. So it was, you know, it was like, oh, okay. We'll do that. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the the whole internet, the communication so fast now. Yeah, people mm-hmm. are, uh, you can get the answers. I mean, it used to be, uh, yeah. you would call and say, oh, well, I don't know where the boss is. He went out to lunch. I mean, he's got, he's got a cell phone there, cell phone technology. Mm-hmm. This is a great age we live in. I love it. I do too. I mean, I'm sitting here talking on a podcast. This podcast is in like eight countries and 40 states. And I just started it. Technology is so cool. Well, you were talking about changes in the industry, and we're talking about equipment and things like that. that. This is probably one of our biggest changes other than the technology. It's the the ability that 
domestic companies have to get product turned so quickly. Yeah, that's true. Because we weren't doing this before NAFTA, before the mid-90s. American companies weren't forced to do this. They had, you know, well, we'll get that in six months. That's going to be next summer's program. Right, exactly. There's no window to to prepare for stuff now. It's it's all quick turn and react. It's great. I'm glad that we, uh, you know, have to learn things. I'm glad we have to adapt and change. It made us better. It made us a better manufacturing country. We're supposed to be learning and growing. You know, who wants to, you know, be the toll booth operator at the bridge for 30-year retirement? Right. I'm glad that there's problems. If there wasn't problems, we wouldn't be doing anything. You've been in a lot of shops. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the weakest area in most shops you see? When you, uh, let's talk production. I'm on the floor. You're on the floor looking around. Maintenance. Maintenance, general maintenance on the equipment and uh, upkeep of the, the shop. That's generally probably the weakest areas. I mean, every shop's had their weaknesses, but generally you see, I mean, there's not a lot of shops that... Uh, the machinery isn't new. I mean, serigraphy is probably an uh, exception to that. But, you know, knowing Greg Keith, you know how we kept our equipment. It was maintained regularly. Um, now, I mean, nowadays, I think the problem is, you know, you're trying to find ways to cut corners. At that time, we didn't have that competition internationally that we have now. But at that time, we could spend a little more intricate time cleaning and maintaining the equipment and not affect the company's profit loss. But I guess over time, you know, a lot of companies found ways to cut corners and it, you know, it might be, well, let's leave off this process or this step. And part of that has to do with equipment upkeep, maintenance, you know, general uh, maintenance of the facilities. Those are probably the biggest weaknesses that I've seen. I think you're you're right on there. And um, part of that maintenance is also cleanliness. A lot of people are just messy and they get, you know, the floor may be swept, but if you start looking around the knobs on the machine, it's like gooey. And that's just a lot of uh, lost profits because, you know, someone will touch the knob, then touch a shirt. And now you're spraying out the shirt and that's all costing time. And Yeah. Well, and then a lot of that, Philip, I mean, you know as well as I do, um, a lot of that is how the employees were trained along the way. So, Ultimately, it's probably training because I would bet every shop that bought a machine had a maintenance schedule for that machine when they got it. Yeah. What What didn't happen is the manager, the supervisor didn't say, okay, every week we're going to grease this fitting on this press because the manual says to do so. They probably put that in a drawer and tucked it away and said, well, we'll get to it when we need to. So they didn't train the people that came in after that machine was there and said, okay, we grease this every week. Right. Or we do this every week. And then before you know it, it's really probably training, but it, the end result is your, your shop starts falling apart. You're right. It's not that the, they didn't know how to maintain it. They just didn't. Um, they dropped the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I've been in a lot of shops, and that, that does seem to be that people don't take care of their equipment. It's because it's not theirs, and like you said, it, to instill ownership. I hate to keep bringing I don't hate. I actually love bringing up serigraphy, but another thing on a bulletin board there by the time clock. I don't know if it was there, but it was old, faded little cartoon of two guys leaning over the edge of the ship, and uh, one guy saying to the other guy, hey, the ship's sinking. 
And the um, the other guy listening said, "Well, I don't care. It's not my ship." <laughs> That's a good. It was good, and Greg put it up there because it makes perfect sense. A lot of people go, "Well, it's not my machinery. It's not mine. I'm not." Well, you're in it. You're on it. This is what's yeah. feeding your family. Believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so if you don't take care of this equipment, if you don't, you know, be part of, then the ship's going to sink, and you're going to be on it sink too. Well, you know, you you mentioned earlier about that you interviewed owners of companies and being up being an owner is a different viewpoint. This goes back to Serigraphia again and that learning about ownership that an individual can take in their company. That that ultimately is something I can tell new people if that you know, if they find a job where, you know, the the company's been in business for a while and they feel like they can do the work, take ownership in it and and that could be anything. It, when I interview people, I tell them, I'm like, look, this, this company is meaningful to all these people that are here. It's important to them. It's, it's providing for their families. It's providing for my family, the owner's family. This job is important, and we all take ownership in it, and then we take it personal to that, to that extent because it is so important to us. So I'm, I try to impress on those new people that when you come in here, I want you to you know, feel like this is your company, too, and take ownership in it. And that's where you have that disconnect with new people is they don't get that or understand that. And I mean, it, once they do, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I get it now, but I think that's probably one of the weaker areas, uh, in companies as far as new people is, is lack of ownership. It's hard to sometimes instill, especially young people, they're trying to figure out all kinds of stuff. You know, they're trying to, trying to get laid, trying to, you know, keep up with their all their buddies from school doing whatever they do. And right. it, it's a difficult time to figure yourself out. And there's not a lot of guides, but right. to try to get to them and impress that on them. Because even if it's anything, you should take ownership in everything. If you're in someone's, in your neighbor's home visiting... You should treat everything in that home like it's yours, like it's valuable. You don't go anywhere and mistreat things. You know, you don't go in a store. I, I know a lot of people go shopping. They pick all kinds of stuff up and go, oh, I don't want it, and throw it in a pile somewhere. Well, what the hell is that? Why would you do that? Yeah. I mean, this is someone's house. It's, even though it's a store and they're making money off you, people just take so many things for granted. I'm, I don't want to go on a rant on that way, but just act right, people, and treat your people right, and everything works well. <laughs> Yeah, as a manager, that's the that's the biggest challenge. And and you can interview someone, and they can tell you all the answers that you want to hear, and you can believe them or not believe them. But once they get in here, it's it's the proof is in the pudding. You know, you can see if they're going to take ownership in it, and if they if they care, or if if they can take the job seriously, and and you know, look like they have some respect for the the people and the company that they work for. But it's hard. That's probably the biggest challenge. That's the biggest challenge with new people. Yeah. Do you use write-ups and uh, things like that? Yeah, we do. We do disciplinary procedures like any company would. Um, we typically, I mean, we have a, a real good core group of people here that are here year-round all the time. So they're they're basically what makes this company successful. Their uh, loyalty to the company, their their experience, their tenure. So we don't really we keep those people here. They're not. We don't lose a lot of people in that capacity. We, but we do add people when we get busier, and so we have to bring new people in to fill roles that that we're gonna where we're gonna expand capacity. So 
we have to we have to bring new people in and it's a challenge to get the right people in here sometimes we get pretty fortunate and find someone that's you know hey this guy's going to be a keeper you know even beyond this extended uh capacity that we have well it's probably not as much of a challenge as it was there in uh, bourbon missouri you know it was challenging i think about that a lot i think that's probably that's one of the bigger challenges that i had there was you know personnel and it i mean it's Honestly, the company's been in business for like a hundred years. So, the town being as small as it is, and the company being as large as it is, there weren't there wasn't a the labor pool had pretty much all worked there at one point or another. So, I mean, and then going beyond out beyond that, you know, you're you're halfway between two large cities in Missouri, a hundred miles apart. So it's you know you and then you're competing with your pick, you know, someone could drive to St. Louis to work and make, you know, four or five bucks more an hour doing the same thing, you know? So it's, it, it was tough in that sense because then you're competing with the workforce in, uh, or the job pool in St. Louis with, you know, and then your workforce, you know, they're, they're going to make the decision of, well, I'll just drive to St. Louis and work because I'm going to make more money. Well, that's all fine in the summertime, but hit winter, who wants to drive to St. Louis from Bourbon? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Definitely not. That was, I can drive in that, in, in the winter there. For us Florida boys, that was, uh, that was a weird thing. Snow everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I grew up in Tennessee, so I was accustomed to snow. So it wasn't a big deal, but it was definitely not something I enjoyed either. Well, I mean, we're kind of running out of time here. Uh, I don't want to get things too long because I don't want to lose listeners' attention and stuff. Man, I really appreciate you coming on. Since this podcast is new, and I'm I'm just trying to perfect the craft, and I'm not too good at it yet. So what I think I'm going to do is in about a one-year anniversary, I'm going to repeat my, like my first 10 or 12 interviews. So um, hopefully you'll uh, be willing to, within a year, redo this. I enjoyed it. I, uh, I think uh, we need to definitely talk more uh, outside the podcast. Yes. Because there's a lot of old friends that you and I have met over the years that I'd like to get back in touch with yes. and talk about. Uh, with that, I'll say goodbye. I wish you a good day. All right. Same to you, Philip. Thanks.